Super Talk Mississippi media production. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that continues to celebrate the men and women who are making Coast of Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. So welcome to Coast View. I appreciate you listening on 103.1 or on YouTube or Facebook or your favorite podcast. Uh, this is where we celebrate Coastal Mississippi every single day, and today is no exception. I have a very special guest today, but let me start with this. Inc. Incorporated had uh, recently listed five essential qualities of a great leader. Uh, quality number one was clarity. Uh, they, had, they are very clear and concise at all times. There's no question about their vision and what needs to be accomplished. Number two, they're decisive. Once they have made up their mind, they don't hesitate to commit. It's all hands on deck. And that's whether they're working in their business or whether they're working in the community. They have courage, which means that, you know, they're going to they're gonna go to places sometimes that may not necessarily be clear to other people, but people perceive their courage. They follow because they perceive that courage. They have passion. They believe deeply that where they're headed is the right direction. And that passion is what motivates other people to follow them. And they have humility. They understand that the key to success is teamwork, and, uh, and you wouldn't accomplish anything in life if you didn't have great people around you. Someone once said that great leaders don't set out to be a leader. They set out to make a difference. And it's never about the role. It's always about the goal. This morning, I'm, I'm really honored uh, to have an extraordinary coastal Mississippi leader on Coast, Coast View. And I want to welcome William G. Yates III uh, to Coast View. Good morning, William. How are you doing, buddy? I'm great, Ricky. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing, I'm doing fantastic. I've really looked forward to this conversation because you and I, we go back a long way. And uh, we, you know, while we worked in the community and we rubbed shoulders from time to time, we never really got to know each other. So this is one of those opportunities that I really enjoy because I've been able to kind of dive deep into your family legacy and the role that you're playing. So let me, let me set it up just a tad and then we'll get right to it. So you're the CEO and president of WG Yates and Sons Construction Company, and you're the CEO and president of the Yates Companies Incorporated. We'll talk about why those two companies are separate here just in just a second. You've dedicated an enormous amount of time in the community. And, um, you know, when I was publisher of the Sun-Herald, that's where we would tend to kind of rub shoulders in, in the community, doing community kinds of things. And in preparation for this this conversation with you, I had the opportunity to get to know Engineering News Record. Now, you know this, but I didn't know this. It's sort of the Bible of the construction industry. And um, and as I mentioned to you offline, it was interesting to see some of the top stories because I have an interest in artificial intelligence. And it's really interesting to see how artificial intelligence is really transforming engineering and construction, just like it is just about every other type of, uh, of uh, industry. But um, but one of the things I noted was that your company has been consistently identified in the top uh, 50 contractors in the U.S. And it's ranked in so many other categories over the years. We, we'll probably have a chance to talk about that in just a little bit. I had Ashley Edwards on this week. And what he talked about as you come in as the chairman of the Gulf Coast Business Council is that he knows, he knows you as a bold leader, someone who's going to step out and do the right thing 
and do some things that maybe haven't been done before. And uh, I look forward to exploring that as well. And I also want to mention that in 2021, you were appointed to the board of directors of the New Orleans branch of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. Um, you could live anywhere, but you choose to live right here in coastal Mississippi. And uh, so what I want to start with is just isn't coastal Mississippi a special place? Oh, it's a very special place. You know, uh, as I like to say, I, I wasn't born here, but I got here as soon as I could. Um, I came here about 25 years ago, actually, to build the Beau Rivage. So I was on my honeymoon. We got invited to go present on this project that was Mirage at the time, ended up being the Beau Rivage. And uh, part of that presentation and part of what the owner wanted was for me to be on site. Now, at that time, I was 23 years old, 24 years old. So I didn't necessarily bring a lot of value to the project. But the owner knew, this is Steve Wynn's organization, he knew if he had me on site full time, he would have Bill Yates' full attention as Bill's only son. So <laughs> it was a, a good strategic move from his standpoint. And I got to the coast. Um, we loved it here. We've raised our family here and, and we're still here. So it's the coast has so much to offer. Uh, it, it's a great place to be. Uh, the people are great. And, um, you know, it's just a wonderful community in lots of different ways. Well, later in my career, uh, you know, it, it took me away from coastal Mississippi, but I always kept the place here. You know, I always referred to this as the home base, even though I had residences in Alabama and then, then in New Orleans along the way. But you mentioned building the Beau Rivage. Um, one of the things that I noted and in, in looking uh, into your company along the way, and we were, we were talking earlier about uh, the engineering news and record that uh, you were number one the top in the top 20 list of entertainment uh, companies. Uh, you were number two in the top 85 hotel sector construction firms. You went on uh, to, uh, let me get to this list here, the, the Brigada Hotel, Casino and Spa in Atlantic City. You, uh, you built the U.S. District Courthouse in Jackson. You even were, built the inn at Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina, which incidentally is one of the most beautiful places on earth you know, second to only coastal Mississippi and you've done business around the world. It's just, it's incredible that your company has gone from this kind of dream your dad had in the early sixties to literally doing business in places like Russia and Mexico and China, India, Indonesia, and literally around the world. When you look back on the footprint of the Yates company, the evolution of the Yates company, one that's full of inspiration and determination and focus and passion and expansion and lots of acquisition. When you look back on it, does it blow your mind? Well, we've been very fortunate. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And I work with so many great professionals, um, great builders, great leaders, uh, committed, passionate about what they do, high integrity, always focused on safety. But really, our story was uh, my grandfather and my father started the company. 1964. My dad was still at Ole Miss, uh, but they started the company when he was still in school. And my grandfather had actually been a superintendent for his father-in-law. So I'm really fourth generation in, in the business, uh, third generation in our company. And we were, uh, you know, my dad and my granddad were running the company, uh, doing very well. One of the you know top companies in Mississippi, very proud of that. And then gaming came to the state. And um, before that, you know, there hadn't been a lot of bigger opportunities uh, in terms of size of construction projects that 
uh, clients uh, would consider Mississippi contractors for. So there were bigger industrial projects, but usually they would bring in out-of-state contractors and, you know, kind of let others build that work. When gaming came, it was just a game changer for our company. So all of a sudden there were these big commercial projects. We did very well. We, we, we do uh, extremely well in high-speed environments where it's high quality, but it has to be done quickly and safely. And so it sort of changed the destiny of the company. That's why I came to the Mississippi Gulf Coast to build the Bower Vodge, which at the time was the biggest project we had done. And now, just in the gaming sector, you mentioned we're usually number one or two in the gaming sector in the U.S. We've done over 100 major gaming projects in 60 different venues across the country. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm honored and amazed every day on the fortune we've had and the great people that I have the honor to work with each and every day. What was interesting to me, William, was in studying your company was that your your uh, your, your dad and I'm assuming your grandfather was involved as well. Were focused on expanding the company and build building inside your company specific skill sets. For example, you bought Thompson Welding and Machine Works in 1976. Edwards Electric Service became sort of a subsidiary of your company. You bought Baldwin Sound and and Gravel. I could go on. You expand. You started expanding your company beyond Philadelphia. And in a way, it was interesting as you were building these skill sets and sort of rounding out the expertise that you had, it, it literally positioned you to be successful when after 1990, we began to see ca the casino explosion in Mississippi. But it was, it was all those things ahead of time, which you didn't see coming. You didn't see the casino industry coming. I, I guess you just had a vision and a passion for, for, for making this company one that could serve all the needs of a, of a, of a company. Uh, that, that would hire you, but boy, it did well position you in nineteen in the early nineteen nineties, didn't it? Yeah. So here, here's what happened in the early seventies. Uh, we were sort of like a typical general contractor. If you know anything about about our business, a typical general contractor subs everything out to the subcontractor, right? And so you're sort of a broker, and you you find experts who are going to do the electrical, the mechanical, and everything. And in the early seventies, he had a big project for Warehouser, who was a major client of ours at the time. And he had this, this tough delivery, this schedule had to be done. It was a shutdown project, so they were shutting down the plant. We had to do our work and then open it back up. Sort of everything was at stake. It was a big project for us at the time. This was before I was involved in the business. So been planning it for six months, and the day before, the electrician came and said, hey, Bill, I don't think I can make the schedule. So my dad sort of freaked out. He goes, what are you talking about, Ed? William, let's do this. Let's do this. We're out of time on this segment. When we come back, we're going to pick it up right there. I'll finish and, when we come finish back. the story that is significant to the growth of, of Yates Construction. This is William sure. Yates the third, and uh, we'll continue our you know fascinating conversation after after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We have a special guest today, William Yates III. And, uh, you know, we were, we were talking about this amazing evolution of his company. 
and uh, some of the really key points along the way. And we had to kind of leave in the middle of a story. So let's pick it up from there, William, and uh, let's continue talking about these key moments along the way. Yeah, so we were we were in the early 70s again before I was involved, but my dad had this critical project and the electrical company came to him and said, hey, I don't think I can make the schedule. And they've been planning it for six months. We've made a commitment to the client. So he decided that at that point in time, he was going to run the business differently. In fact, he ended up buying that electrical company, doing the work, making the schedule. But he decided at that point, vertical integration, self-performance was going to be our business model. So we could control our own destiny. We would have that expertise and that experience in-house. So the companies that you mentioned that positioned us then 20 years later when gaming came because we could control the schedule was really critical to our growth. And we still believe that today. We believe in expertise, experience, self-performing in-house. We still have lots of trade partners and subcontractors we work with, but we also have that safety net where we can self-perform it if we have to in order to deliver to our customers. It's just fascinating. As you you know, got into the 2000, Jesco Incorporated, Merit, Blaine Construction Company, you went on to buy engineering companies. You continued to expand your offices to places like Dustin and Birmingham and Dallas-Fort Worth and Mexico and all the work that you guys were doing. And I'm assuming that the Mexico piece of this had uh, a connection to the Nissan plant. Is that correct? Yeah, we, we built a new plant in Nissan in Aguas Calientes, Mexico. Uh, very successful. We also built a consulate for the U.S. government in Monterey, Mexico. So uh, what got us to Mexico was following clients that we had worked for here in the U.S. who wanted us to come to Mexico and do the same thing we've done in, in the continental U.S. So what's interesting to me about your company is uh, by the time we get to Katrina, you're doing you're doing work literally all over the place. You you're, You've begun to, to really build this multidimensional construction company that has all these vertical you know, skill sets that you talked about earlier that said you were going to control your own destiny. When Katrina hit, though, um, certainly was a devastating event, the worst natural disaster in American history. Uh, it certainly affected the coast in a very significant way. But life in your company, once the sort of the, the fog of, the, of, the, of Katrina sort of waned, we were still focused on recovery down here. You guys had to get on with the program and continue the work of running your company. So that must have been a very interesting time to have, you know, life goes on in Yates company, but you're down here on the coast and uh, you're already beginning to work toward, uh, I guess, assuming rebuilding the Bowler Vodge or whatever else you were involved in down here. But that must have been a really dynamic time for you. Well, you know, we're right here on Main Street in Biloxi. So every building on, on each side of us got destroyed. Our building remained, but you can see through the first floor. Um, and and one of the stories that still gives me chill bumps is I, I we had Nextel direct connect back then. And the person on the second floor was at her desk and she said, come in, William. Like, go ahead, Linda. She goes, I'm at my desk. The first floor is gone. What's the plan? And we immediately got focused on doing what we do, which is build things. So while a lot of businesses, you know, didn't really know how to deal with that, they never encountered it. And that was a very unfortunate part, of course, about Katrina and the aftermath. We were able to get engaged and, and be involved because that's what we do. And we actually brought lots of different uh, divisions and personnel from other parts of the country to come here to the Mississippi Gulf Coast to help us build back as quickly and as efficiently and as safely as we could. So. Uh, it was a very, you know, critical part of our company's growth. 
was one of our proudest moments. Uh, we had 60 employees who actually lost their homes. We lost one employee during the storm. Uh, so it had a big impact on us like everyone else, but we were able to get focused on the positive of let's build our community back bigger and better and, and be ready to go forward. Well, as you know, um, we were all in this together after Katrina, but I often say on this show that that th- this resiliency that is part of our DNA is part of being a coastal Mississippian, this resiliency, this ability to back, bounce back is one of the most enduring characteristics of a coastal resident, so of, of, coast, of our coastal Mississippi culture. It's that one significant thing that brings us all together that helps us in times when a Zeta hits. It helps us when the pandemic hits because we, we don't let a lot of dust settle on the, the badness of the moment. We quickly sort of, as Haley often said, you know, pick up our bootstraps and get on, get on with it. And we're all about understanding what this hill looks like and, and tackling that. And that, that ability to recover has really helped us. And that, that quality, I bet it, it kind of got injected into Yates beyond coastal Mississippi. This, this sense of determination and passion to, to be the best, to show people that, you know, as difficult or as, as say daunting as a project might be, we can do this because you've been there before, haven't you? Yeah, and it's, you know, it's what we alluded to earlier about the people. Part of what makes the coast great, what makes our state great is our people. And there's just a certain innate quality of grit, of working through issues, of grinding through it, staying positive. You know, dealing with the reality of the situation is not always, you know, uh, roses and, and, and great things ongoing. But uh, we figure out a way as a people to, to work through it and find the best and uh, come out on the other end. And, uh, you know, that's part of what I love about our community and I love about our Gulf Coast. I love about our state. You know, one of the things that was interesting, and I don't know who had the vision for this, but in 2009, you actually opened the Yates Museum and Archives in Philadelphia, which to me is a great opportunity to really solidify for the next generation that all these steps that were taken along the way to build this incredibly dynamic company. And, you know, I, I said this offline, but, you know, I've had the opportunity to meet your father and to be around him a couple of times. And man, he is a man on a mission, isn't he? He's one of the most passionate, dynamic leaders our state has had the opportunity to, to appreciate isn't he? Yeah, he is a, he is a force to be reckoned with. I'm very fortunate to, uh, uh, to call him a mentor. You know, one of the things he did for me, I mean, he's just been such a great mentor, a great supporter. He's up in East central Mississippi. I'm on the coast, so we're not in the same office, but we talk just about daily. But he told me when I started, he said, look, I want you to learn in 10 years what it took me 30 years to learn. Because I want to put you on the accelerated track. I want you to come to me. I want you to ask me questions. I want to support you. And let's let's have this dialogue where I can help you be all that you can be. And it's, it's starting the, then, it's just every step of the way, he has been a supporter of mine. Uh, and I'm just so fortunate. He, he's, uh, you know, very well known in the state business community, very well known in the construction community. Uh, and he is very passionate about what he does. And that passion is one of our core values. And we get that from one of our co-founders, my dad, who just who believes so strongly in what we do and is so committed to doing it the right way. I was I was lucky. I talk about mentorship a lot. And my father died, unfortunately, when I was uh, 21 years old. 
But there were mentors that stepped in along the way, people like Bobby Nichols from Mississippi Power Company who listens. He's retired now and lives up in North Mississippi, but listens almost daily. And people like Roland Weeks, who, in a very young age, in my early 20s, sort of took me under his wings. But Roland taught me not just about how to, to, run, a, to run a newspaper, how to do that with incredible deter- determination so that the newspaper could serve the community. But he also constantly preached to me and taught me how important it was that the newspaper play a great role in the community. And uh, the relationship between being a successful business person and being involved in the community and, and making the connection between those two roles would actually help your business be, be a stronger business. Your dad taught you that as well, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's a big believer in you can do good and you can do well, and, and those things sort of interrelate. I'll give you a quick uh, data point to that. He, I was um, considering two or three years ago about doing something that was going to take uh, a little bit of time. And, uh, you know, I was busy, and I, I, but it was for a good cause. And I called him to get his opinion, and he said, William, if you don't do it, who's going to do it? And I was like, okay, I hear you. That's the challenge I needed to hear. So he, he always um, has been a believer in balance, making sure we give back to the community. And he believes, like, if it's good for the Gulf Coast, it's good for the state of Mississippi. It's good for Yates Construction. And when you talk about balance, you're not just talking about balance between the role that you play in your sophisticated, dynamic business and the role you play in the community, which really there's there's no limit to what you could do in the community. You have to really you know, be choosy and pick the things that you think will make the most difference given the time you have to commit. But you're also like, you know, it, it's about balancing with family and um, I, I have always believed in my in my heart of hearts that the biggest legacy we leave is going to be our kids. You know, your dad obviously felt that way. I'm, I know you feel that way. When we come back, I want to talk about a little bit about your family, and then I want to switch gears and talk about your incoming role as the chairman of the Gulf Coast Business Council and thoughts you have about that. So when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with William Yates III, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll continue to, to understand more about this dynamic leader we have, the pleasure of having here in coastal Mississippi. Coast View on Super Talk 103.1 is brought to you by J. Allen Toyota on I-10 Exit 38 Gulfport. See all the incredible inventory at allentoyota.com. And remember, when you think Toyota, think J. Allen Toyota. Broadcasting safe and sound from the coastal Mississippi studios, this is Coast View View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk 103.1. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We have William Yates III. A uh, very significant leader here in coastal Mississippi, and uh, we've talked a lot about his company. And uh, we're going to shift gears uh, for a second. We're talking about family still, and I want to, I want to, I want him to tell us a little bit more about his immediate family. But before we do that, at the beginning of the show, William, I read this quote: "Great leaders don't set out to be a leader; they set out to make a difference." It's never about the role; it's always about the goal. Man, that defines your father, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, he uh, he identified early on when he 
he dedicated his professional life to building a construction company. But he had this one rule that he he always falls back on, and he, he always says this, I wanted it to be bigger than me. So it was always about the organization, the people that we work with, continuing to reinvest in the company so that we can help our company be all that it can be. And it has to be more than one person. It has to be a team. It has to be everybody working together to make something great happen. Yeah, he believed in he he believes strongly in synergy. And I watched a video of him talking about sort of the 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 mission of the company. It was clear that he understood that the key to your success was going to be bringing really smart people in who has ex- specific expertise, and that the culmination of bringing those kind of people in was going to build this incredible company. And and that the, the and that that ultimately what comes from that is you don't know where that's going to take you. I mean, you you have to be free to let them contribute to the company in ways that you never imagined they would. And before you know it, you're off on a new venture somewhere that you didn't expect to be on and your company grows even further. And that's really the story of Yates in a lot of ways. Tell me about your family. Oh, you, did you, did you want to make a comment about that? Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, so, so one anecdote to that, that he always kind of referred to was he said, you know, as I've, I've grown up and, and professionally seen other companies, I see really good companies and they have dynamic and, and good leaders. But then when I see the leader die or retire, I see the company die or retire as well. Yeah. That was part of that impetus for saying, you know, it can't be just about me. If, if I'm doing something that I'm dedicating my professional life to and it's worthwhile, then it, it should last beyond me. You know, otherwise, why do it? So, yeah. so that was part of his philosophy on empowering, training, yeah. investing in our people so that they can uh, continue to run the company long after we're gone. What, uh, there's a great book that I referred to a lot and passed to most key leaders in my companies. And it was a company called built to, a book called built the last. You probably know it well, but it was about how do you create an enduring company? And some of the examples it gave of companies that had that kind of charismatic leader that when they passed away, they weren't able to keep it going. And then they talked about other leaders that were not necessarily charismatic. Some were that really understood the values and the, and the enduring aspects of the company that would, you know, they built into the company, those things. So that when the, when the founder goes away, it could continue to get, thrive. Sam Walton was one of those. And you can see, see what happened as a result of that. But um, so anyway, tell me about, tell me about your family. And so one of the pieces of advice my dad gave me about a family business was he said early on, family business can be the best thing in the world or can be the worst thing in the world. So if you do it the right way, and part of that is separation of family and business and making sure that if people, if family members are going to be involved in the business, they, they carry their weight and they, they, you know, they perform. Uh, so I'm third generation in our company. There is a fourth generation. Uh, there's a William Gully Yates the fourth. He's a junior uh, at St. Patrick. And then Abby is a sophomore at Ole Miss. Um, I'm taking the same approach that he took with me. He never forced me. He never insisted. He never demanded that I come into the family business. He gave me the opportunity, but he completely left it up to me. So I'm doing the same thing with them. I'm, I'm encouraging them that they have a great opportunity. But if they're not passionate and excited about what we do, um, and if they're not, I'll try to convince them maybe that they should be because we build things and we have, it's very rewarding. But if they're not, then I'm going to support them fully to go do whatever they need to do to be professionally fulfilled. 
Yeah, your daughter's at Ole Miss. You went to Ole Miss. You got a degree in accounting. You you were a good student. Um, you you're uh, an awarded student, and um, so apparently your 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 parents just just really pushed you to build a good educational foundation and just hope that as you matured, you would have the opportunity to come back into the family business. Is that sort of the the approach they took? Yeah, they uh, they had very high expectations, um, which I think you know, is important that you should, if you, if you feel someone has the ability, which is what I I try to do with my kids as well, is that you have high expectations. You want to keep it in context. You don't want to overreact to certain things, but you know, you want people to really, the the phrase I like is to be all that you can be. So support them, help, help them, you know, really meet their full potential. And uh, both of them do very well in school, very proud of them. And, uh, sort of use the same model that my parents use with me. So I mentioned that you were appointed in 2021 to the board of directors for the New Orleans branch of the Federal Reserve Bank in uh, Atlanta. You also were the chairman of the Mississippi Economic Council. You've been involved in statewide efforts in lots of different ways, most recently the Restart Mississippi Committee. Uh, so you've you've had so many different roles. That so what that has done is sort of give you a global perspective uh, it's, it, it, through the Federal Reserve. I mean, the the opportunity to the, get the briefings that you guys get, it's got to be just incredibly uh, reassuring, actually, about about the economic strength of this company, no matter what the country, no matter what happens. And then in the state, you've learned how all the dots connect and the relationship between this state and Washington and so on. And now that you're the chairman of the Gulf Coast Business Council, so you bring to this new position this new leadership role, tremendous perspective. And um, is, is that the way you look at it? Does it really help make you a better leader to have all of this perspective? You know, I, I think so. Having experiences and being exposed to the way, let's say, different states do things and different communities, I, I think is helpful because I see some real opportunities for us on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. There are things that we can do working as a consolidated greater community. They can really move the needle. And that, that's that's my big focus and initiative uh, as the incoming chair for the business council is how can we make a difference? You know, small incremental change is good. It's OK. But, you know, really, we want big, bold moves. We want to move the needle, as they say, and try to make a difference. And sometimes that means, you know, change and thinking about things differently. And that's not always easy. Uh, but my role will be to support Ashley and the Gulf Coast Business Council to try to really move things forward and, and make a difference to, again, help the, the Gulf Coast be all that we can be. I got to know Ashley after uh, Katrina, as, you, as most of us did. Uh, many of the uh, the people in the governor, governor's staff actually worked out of my conference room with the Sun-Herald for a pretty long time, you know, Joe Cloyd and and others. Um, Ashley went on, as you know, to uh, Hancock County Port and Harbor Commission to, to lead that and then came to the Business Council. And what I know in him, he's on the show often. He's a first of all, he's a terrific representative of the Gulf Coast Business Council. Secondly, he's extremely smart and he pushes strategic guidance all the time that we have to think big in coastal Mississippi, that the opportunity, particularly in light of the pandemic, now that we've, we we knew this before, we knew this before as it related to the new economy. And, and what the opportunities were within the new economy that people were more mobile, people typically chose a community to live in because they could work remotely, et cetera. But then 
the pandemic exacerbates that trend. It puts it on a whole new level. And uh, as my friend uh, Eric Hill from the uh, Entrepreneur Program at Mississippi State says that that Mississippi has an opportunity to become the Silicon Delta, that, that uh, you know, the standard of living is high, the cost of living is low, that there's so many great communities in this place. And as we continue to wire and make broadband access available through all these funds, that are over a billion dollars worth of funds that are coming to Mississippi that Dane Maxwell discussed yesterday, this opportunity that we have to take this whole, our whole game to a whole new level, to diversify our economy. We got a great economy. It's a great diversified economy in coastal Mississippi. But the opportunities within the guise of this new economy, and in some ways exacerbated by the pan- pandemic, and then you think about the BP money and the opportunity to do transformative projects related to that, there, we are really sitting in, in a spot that could really take us to a whole new level. Is that the way you see it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we think about it. We, well, first of all, we did a, a study about 18 months ago through a company called Tip Strategies to really give us some strategic thinking there from Austin. So they had some pretty unique perspective. And to your point, technology, broadband, 5G, that's one area that we have to figure out. I mean, that's a space that's critical to the success and the growth of the Gulf Coast. The other thing we have to figure out is, is to really develop some of our downtown areas into a, a greater sense of place. If, we're, if we want to retain our millennials and counter counter-effect the, the brain drain and, and the people that are leaving the state, we, we have to make them, uh, we have to create an environment where they feel comfortable, they feel engaged, they feel excited about being, and we, we have some opportunities to do that. The other thing we have to think about is innovation. Let's do this. Let's do this. We'll come back. I want to we'll talk about innovation and creating sense of place. You you buzz right past that, but that is one of the most important subjects that I talk about on the show. It's 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 it really it's the secret sauce for coastal Mississippi if we take advantage of this moment. We'll be back with William Yates to continue this conversation in the final segment after this break. View on Super Talk 103.1 is brought to you by J. Allen Toyota on I-10 Exit 38 Gulfport. See all the incredible inventory at allentoyota.com. And remember, when you think Toyota, think J. Allen Toyota. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We have William Yates III, and it's been an important conversation because we once again get an opportunity to see the kind of dynamic, experienced leaders who have an incredible perspective, a worldwide perspective, and the kind of contribution they're making here in coastal Mississippi. We're talking about his chairmanship of the Gulf Coast Business Council. He just started a new term, a new two-year term doing that. And when we went to break, he was about to talk about innovation and had mentioned sense of place. And I want to come back to sense of place, and then we'll come back to innovation. As it relates to sense of place, what Coastal Mississippi is, is a collection of communities. And each community has its own sense of place, its own special culture, and the things that makes it special. It's that sense of place that makes that specific community so special. When you add these communities together into this coast, coastal Mississippi region, it creates this one of the strongest regions 
of the state, if not the strongest. With Ingalls on one side, Stennis on the other, tourism in between, and all the diversification that's happened here over, over the years. And the new economy, this, this notion of building on our sense of place, what we know is, and this is every study that you read, what we know is that millennials and young people, they want to move to a community, as Eric Keel says, where they can find a spouse. They want, to, they want to go where other young people are. They want to go where they can live, work, and play in, a, in sort of a walkability kind of setting in a, in a downtown area where they, you know, they don't ever have to leave if they don't want to. That's what they want. And, and, and we're seeing that even more so after the pandemic. So through the BP funds, we've got an opportunity to invest in these kinds of things. Now, there are some good projects like happening in Pasagoula. There's some that have been mentioned in, uh, in, in Biloxi, some that have been mentioned in Gulfport. But it's time for us to take it to the next level. We, we need these pockets of excellence that we see evolving in Pasagoula, that's for sure. But we need bigger projects. We need longer-term projects. We need the kind of projects that build a sense of place that are going to attract young people. And I mean, I cannot overstate that, can I, William? No, I mean, it just matters. Sense of place, quality of life matters. It matters, especially to millennials. It matters, especially to people who are trying to determine where they want to grow professionally and where they want to raise a family. And we can look at other data points like Nashville or Austin. Those are two places where we work and we see that it's significant. And then it sort of builds on itself. So we have to figure out as a community how to develop some of these spaces where people get excited about being there. They, they, can, they can have a, a social hub where they can get together and be with each other outside of the workplace. And when we can create that, then we're going to retain and recruit the talent that we need to then support the business economy. Yeah, after, after Katrina, when we had the Mississippi Renewal Farms and Andreas Juani and the 100 architects and planners from around the world, they talked all about new urbanism, but specifically mixed use and why that's important to the conversation. And there, you know, people are beginning to understand that even better today, why, how that can help us get to where we're wanting to go. So we'll talk more about that in the future. It's, that could be a whole show just to talk about that aspect. You talked about innovation. Tell, talk about why that's critical to our future. Yeah, so, you know, innovation and, and, you know, things like artificial intelligence, which we've looked at in our space to figure out how that might help us be more efficient and more optimized and robotics and those sorts of things. But the skill set and the spaces that we're working in now and in the future are different than what we did in the past. And everybody knows that. Everybody knows that things are changing. Technology is changing. Uh, we have some great assets like Stennis. Um, we have the blue economy. We have lots of natural resources and, you know, intellectual resources that are here on the coast already. We have to leverage those. We have to expand those to create more and more opportunities uh, in and around those spaces. And it's, a, it's one of the three areas I think we have the greatest room for improvement that can actually make a big impact. I, I, I can't agree more. Uh, I love the fact that the blue economy conversation is, continues to get kind of pressed to the forefront because clearly the opportunities for us to take advantage of the fact that we're right here on the Gulf of Mexico, we're, we're centrally located. Um, there is enormous potential. Um, hopefully we can, we can really get our arms around that. Hey, in the final segment and in the final, you know, a few seconds that we have, we're lucky in coastal Mississippi to have great leadership and great leadership development and all of this. We can never have enough though. Can we? No, it's, it's, it's always about continuous improvement. We talk a lot about that in our company. 
Same thing with the community. We can never be satisfied with the status quo. We're always moving forward. The world changes. Economy changes. Uh, you know, social life changes. We have to continue to think about strategically how can we change with it? How can we be on the cutting edge? How can we use our natural resources, our intellectual resources to continue to grow as a community and rise up to the challenges that we'll be, we'll be confronted with as we move forward? So we're, we're lucky here that people like Jerry St. Pay continues to contribute and George Slogel brings such great vision. Uh, we were honored to have people like Anthony Tapazzi and Lucy Marion Roberts and people like that who are no longer with us, but they left tre- tremendous rep legacies. We got people like you coming along and we have young, you know, young you know, presidents, our young uh, uh, leadership organizations and all these leadership programs. We will continue, I think, to stay focused on selfless leadership it's what it takes to build a great community, and you're one of those. And William Yates, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ricky. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. I look forward to talking to you again. Uh, well, I'm, I get the impression that we'll get a chance to chat again as your chairmanship of the Gulf Coast Business Council comes into fr- you know, full fruition. So until then, we'll see you late. We'll see you soon. Uh, we'll be back after this break. Broadcasting safe and sound from the coastal Mississippi studios, this is Coast View View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.